Turn our Bibles then to 1 Peter and chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and continuing our studies of descriptions of Christians in this opening chapter. Seven descriptions given to us in this chapter and we come to the fifth uh, this evening in our last service of 2023. And the, the theme, the topic, the description is children. Verses 13 to 17 of 1 Peter and chapter 1. The older members of our congregation understand the momentousness of these times in our congregation. Many have seen the ebbs and flows of the congregation over the decades, the inevitable ups and downs over the years in any and every congregation. In particular, the presence of so many children in this congregation at this time is a wonderful blessing from God. Many older members cannot remember a time when there were so many children in the congregation. And it's a wonderful dimension to our worship, to our life, to our coming together each Sabbath day. And it's great to have so many here this evening in our evening service. And thank you parents for bringing them along. However, this blessing comes with the immense responsibility and challenge for session, for members, for parents... But what a challenge that we face in caring for them. Last week, the Karatz elders were bemoaning the fact that they are down to seven children in their Sabbath school. But this abundance of children in our congregation and in our homes helps us to understand and to enter into and to make relevant to our lives this description In verses 13 to 17 of a Christian, see verse 13, as children, children of God. So we've been noticing Peter's descriptions of Christians in this chapter. He's identified, as you well remember, Christians as chosen, as heirs, as joyful, as privileged. The latter two will be that we are redeemed and that we are born again. And if this was the only chapter we knew well in the Bible, we would have a real insight and a comprehensive understanding of what a Christian really is. Many of these seven identifications of a Christian are enlarged on in the rest of the Bible and there's few additions to these seven descriptions of a Christian. And they're useful for us in explaining to others what a Christian is. Many people have a wrong understanding of the term Christian and so we use it sparingly perhaps or in a qualified way. Some people limit it to something like doesn't do anyone any harm, lives by the golden rule, is good living. And their emphasis is all about behavior, or decision, or choice, external action. This paragraph is countering that definition of a description. And it's insisting that a Christian is the object of the supernatural working of God. He or she is chosen by the triune God. Is it made an heir of heaven? Can be joyful through the grace of God 
even in trouble, is highly privileged by the blessings of God. And the sixth and the seventh will emphasize this heavenly, external, supernatural input of God into our world and life, born again and redeemed. This fifth description of children and the way it's handled here it is the only one that emphasizes external duty or behavior. We are children of God and the writer sets out three ways in which we live as children of God. But this one description is to be taken among the other seven that are given. And perhaps it not only helps us in explaining to others what a Christian is, this chapter surely helps us in explaining to ourselves, in understanding ourselves, if we are a Christian. Perhaps we have a, sh a shallow view of what a Christian is. Last week I talked to a man uh, who has the first, second, third and fourth models of an MX-5. His knowledge of this sports car is encyclopedic. My superficial understanding of the popular Japanese sports car was greatly expanded. And perhaps here, as we are learning of what a Christian is, our understanding is being developed. I hope you've repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Sinclair Ferguson in his great book on the church, and he makes this great point that that was the emphasis of the Apostle Paul's ministry. He preached to the people, not you must be born again, but you must repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was his emphasis and should be our emphasis here in Newton Arts. You must repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. But in his letters and in this letter and in this chapter, it's not that responsibility which every human being in this town has to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus that has been enlarged on. But it's rather the supernatural working of God in choosing, in redeeming, in regeneration, in blessing. And so perhaps our truncated understanding, but a right understanding of what a Christian is, someone who's repented of their sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, has been enlarged here. That there is greater things, more things that God has done for us in his eternal and sovereign and redemptive grace. The apostle will come on to their live situation in chapter 3 and 4. He'll address their suffering, their needs, their fears, their worries then. But he starts off by reminding them and us of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are loved by the Heavenly Father. Whatever earth is like, whatever our home circumstance are, whatever our employment situation, you are loved, chosen, redeemed, regenerate. By Almighty God. As we come this evening to think of this description of the Christian as, as children, there's a double level of application which I'll be pursuing this evening. On one level, we'll be thinking of 
the children of God and how we're to live. But, but this description of children overlaps uh, with the children in our home, the children in our congregation. Uh, boys and girls, in our home over the holidays, uh, the most popular game uh, that we've been playing is Ticket to Ride. Uh, the, the Europe version, and the Europe version adds on dimensions that the American Ticket to Ride America doesn't have. The Europe version has stations. So even if someone takes your track puts the trains down the track that you want to go down, you can still go down there if you place a station at the end of that, that, that rail road. So they've gone down that road, but you can also go down that road. And that's that idea here that we'll be pursuing in our sermon, that there will be that obvious level of children of God in relation to their heavenly Father, but there will also be that lower level application of children in the home and their responsibility to their parents. These characteristics of children, the three of them mentioned here, of obedience, imitation, and respect, are distinct. But they're complementary. We can't do without one of them. And they are emphasizing one side of this relationship. The emphasis here is not so much on what God is doing for us, but what those who belong to him, his children, are to do in relation to him. To obey him. To imitate him. To respect him. As we come to this, we're to remind ourselves even the oldest, the truest Christian among us, that in this context, in this paragraph, we will always be children. We will never be adults in this context. We are to be mature. We are to grow as Christians. We are to get beyond the, the huffing, the, the, the not speaking, the, the, the unforgiving heart, the getting irritated when our idea is not pursued. We're to, we're to mature, we're to grow, we're to become adults in our Christian life in one sense. We put away childish things, as the apostle says in Corinthians 13, but in another sense, another glorious sense, we're always to be children. And so these duties of obedience and respect limitation, incumbent on all of us. Think first of all then of obedience in verses 13 and 14. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedience children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So the first characteristic or duty of a child is obedience to our father. The divine purpose for all children in the home is that they obey their parents. Obedience to parents is a dominant feature of pious children. In the home, husbands are to love their wives. Wives are to submit to their husbands. And children are to obey their parents. This is what's emphasized in the fifth commandment, isn't it? Honor your father 
and your mother. God has established levels of authority within the nation, within the church, and within the home. And children are to obey, and that's the word used here, to obey their parents. And so as children of God, if we're a Christian, our duty to our heavenly Father is to obey him. And it challenges us, doesn't it, as we reflect on this year, our failings, our shortcomings, the times of deliberate disobedience. Obedience is submission of our will to the higher authority of God. As Christians, we are to live in submission to the will, to the purpose, to the commands of God. The phrase used here, obedient children, literally means sons of obedience. The phrase is a Semitic idiom which means that the essential feature of the lives of Christians is obedience to God. Similar phrases are used in the New Testament, sons of light, sons of foolishness, sons of darkness, sons of wrath. And it means that the, the, the son, the person, the subject is suffused with that characteristic. We use this phrase, he's a child of the 60s, to describe someone marked by the free ethics of that era. So this term, sons of obedience, means that while as Christians we are not perfect, we should be identifiable as someone whose life is obedient to God. Our aim, our desire, our longing is to obey him. This is put in a negative way in the phrase, isn't it? And we often use negatives. It's, it's not like this. We might say of last Wednesday or Thursday, it was not a dry day. To emphasize, that was a very wet day. And so to emphasize this point of obedience, the Apostle Peter puts out the negative there. This is what you're not to do. This is not the behavior of the children of God. Do not be conformed, he says, to the passions of your former ignorance. This is the very opposite of how we're to live. This is the lifestyle that is ordered, not by God, but by our sinful nature, our fallen passions, our desires and self. The lifestyle that they lived, but now they're changed. Now they're Christians. And as Christians, they obey their Father in heaven. So what does this look like in the 21st century? In the workplace, it means we turn up on time. We don't leave early or take sick days unjustly. On the sports field, it means we play fair even when the rest back is turned. As we look back in 2023, there's been disobedience in our lives. But failure is never fatal. There's repentance and forgiveness and restoration. The motive for our obedience comes from the recurring theme in 1 Peter of the obedience of Christ. An obedience that covers over our disobedience and models the obedience to the Heavenly Father for us. Secondly, imitation. Verse 15 and 16 and make this point about children. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, 
You shall be holy, for I am holy. A second aspect of the relation between children and parents, scarily or encouragingly, is imitation. It's natural and common for children to imitate their parents in their ways of speaking, in their body language, in their values. Children often follow their parents. We use the expression, he's a chip of the old block, or she's her father's daughter, to make this point. That as the parents are, so are the children. And many times it's not a a, a process, it's not an organized education by the parents, but rather just the way they live rubs off, influences the children. Chores in the house, the habits, the work ethic, the sleeping patterns, the exercise regimes, the devotional life All of these things are witnessed by and influence the children. One writer says children are like cement. In the sense that whatever falls on them makes an impression. For parents it's challenging because we are imperfect and within the home our children see more of our imperfections. But as we seek to please God and follow him and live for him and and confess our faults not only to God but to our children, by his grace, they will see his grace within us and follow that. And so the Christian, as a child of God, should imitate God. It's a common theme found in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus 18 and 22 And throughout the New Testament, just as God is, so we are to be. He is perfect in a certain sense, Matthew 5, 45. So we are to be perfect like him in that sense that identified there. He is a God of love, Ephesians 5, 1. So we are to love. He's a God who is pure. So we are or to purify ourselves. And here the Apostle Peter chooses the, the best known aspect of God, his holiness, that he is set apart completely and always from what is evil. And holiness has that positive dimension that he is set apart to good. And so the Apostle is saying, as children, we are to imitate our Heavenly Father and to imitate him in this regards, that we live a life set apart from evil. Eleanor Macaulay of Stanford University says, what we all know, early childhood is a time of high plasticity. Characteristics acquired at that time are nearly irreversible. One of the biggest influences on young children is the example of parents. This point of imitation is emphasizing that more is needed from us than commands, than instruction to our children. What they need, what our Heavenly Father gives to us is what we are to give to them and that is Example. God's word lived out before their very eyes. It's that thing 
that will impact them above all. So imitation of our Heavenly Father is not an option for us, the verses say, but it's a calling. Verse 15, he has called us to this life of imitation. But this is a great thing. This is not a limiting thing. This is not a restrictive thing. This is not a thing to be fought. This is a thing to be embraced. He has called us to imitate him. He's the wisest. He's the best counselor. The most creative life coach. And he calls us to imitate him. North Korea has many bizarre laws. They offer a choice of 28 haircuts that you, that you can choose from. 10 for the men, 18 for the ladies. But the ruler of North Korea has his own haircut. He wants to be unique, different, special. But God is saying to us, I want you to imitate me as much as you can, as far as you can. Be holy as I am holy. And lastly, respect. Verse number 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. The third responsibility of children to parents is to respect them. There's this aspect of the relationship between parents and children that's mentioned in the fifth commandment, honor father and mother. The fear mentioned in verse 17, we know it's not terror for God. He is our heavenly Father and Redeemer. It's a reverent fear. First John 4.18 says that the perfect love of God casts out fear. That is fear of eternal destruction, fear of condemnation. And that is not to be in our life. That's not the fear in verse 17. It's a respect. It's a reverence. It's an honor for God, for his character, for his laws, for his ways. It's a term used in the Old Testament for the pious. We sung it in Psalm, or it was at the end of Psalm 111. Those who fear the Lord, they are the ones who have wisdom. Thomas Schreiner comments, the relationship we have with God is both tender and awesome. The Lord's Prayer combines this, this beautifully, doesn't it? Our Father, who is in heaven. That tenderness and nearness, that greatness and reverence. But this fear of the Lord, this reverence for God and for his law and for his demands is fundamental to our obedience and our imitation. This comes beneath those other two characteristics that we've already thought of. While fear does not include a fear of condemnation, it does include a fear of his chastening. As this verse indicates, see how it describes God judging 
impartially according to each one's deeds. The fear of rebuke, the fear of discipline, as we fear our our earthly parents. So the Christian has that fear and, and reverence and knowledge that our Heavenly Father also will with wisdom and love and responsibility correct us. Some argue that this happens in this life as it did for Elisha's servant, for Moses, for Miriam, for Zachariah and Elizabeth, or, or Zachariah's Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Zachariah, sorry, for Achan, for Eli, for Saul. Each of them are instances of this chastening by God. Others argue that it refers to this judging impartially. It refers to the the, the final judgment when we will all, as Christians, stand before God and give an account of how we have lived in this body, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says. Perhaps it's both. And such a view of our life now and of our life after should cause us to have this healthy and motivational reverence for God. He's the one who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Child psychologists identify four dominant emotions in in the child-parent relationship. Love, hate, fear, and empathy. Where does this one fit in? Is it empathy? Is it hate? Is it fear in a slavish sense? I think it fits in the first one, love. We love our Heavenly Father. We respect Him. We honor Him in response to His love for us. And we seek to live our life in obedience to Him. And so our life as children of God is not all about prayer and love and forgiveness. It's also about fear. When I was a young boy, I heard a story which has lived with me throughout my life. A boy was taken by his father into a turnip field. And the father asked the boy to stand in a lookout place and call him if anyone came along the road. And the father began digging in the field. He looked left, he looked right to see if anyone was coming. And the father started into the digging of the field. And the little boy shouted to his dad, Dad, you've looked left, you've looked right, but you have not looked up and this is the idea here we look up and we reverence we fear and we respect our father in heaven maybe this sermon as we close on the last day of the year has depressed you you come along the church going I really need this comforting message for the end of the year and for a new year sending you home with duty Obedience, imitation, respect. But underlying this description of a Christian is wonderful comfort because it is asserting that we are children of God, that He is our Heavenly Father and will surely love us, protect us, guide us, comfort us, provide for us, hear us, forgive us. In 2024, in his will. 
But as we end this year and enter another one, we carry these duties with us. They're continually on us. Obey, imitate, respect. Henry Morrison returned to America after 40 years of faithful service in Africa. Coincidentally, President Roosevelt was traveling on the very same ship following a hunting expedition to Africa. On their arrival in New York, Morrison became quite dejected when he compared the great fanfare the president was receiving on his homecoming with the absence of people to welcome him back from his mission work. Yet in the midst of his sulking, he seemed to hear God say to him, Henry, you're not home yet. Thomas Guthrie put it well when he said, Earth for work, heaven for wages, time for employment, eternity for enjoyment. And so as we close this year, let us resolve from the youngest to the oldest among us to obey to imitate, to respect our Heavenly Father as we have never done it before.